Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This week's episode of the Platinum Sobrero podcast is brought to you by Celebrity Mugshot Ping Pong Paddles. If you're looking to dominate at some table tennis with some relative detainment, you need a Celebrity Mugshot Ping Pong Paddle. Bring your A-game with these shameful remnants of debauchery, including the certified Nick Nolte Paddle. Mash backhands with an official Charlie Sheen. Run up the score on your buddies with our best-selling line of Flavor Flaves. And if you're playing in a tournament, you know you can use a separate Lindsay Lohan paddle for every single opponent. Celebrity Mugshot Ping Pong Paddles. Put some shame in your game. Patent pending. Fifty-one thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight. I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Swung, fly ball, deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, 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 yes. 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 Twenty-five lighters on my dresser. Yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. I'm now get ready this is the platinum sombrero podcast with your hosts dylan short and adam doc herbert Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero. Very special week as we get ready to kick off the first postseason for the Atlanta Braves in the last five years. But for all of you guys listening, this is your favorite podcast brought to you in conjunction with Armchair All-Americans and sponsored by MyBookie.ag. If you are looking for a place to place some sports wagers this season, if you want to get into college football betting, you want to bet in-game, if you want to bet your all that the Braves are going all the way, go to MyBookie.ag. You can bet in-game. You can bet prop bets. You can basically bet everything. They've got a line up there now about who the Blue Jays' next coach will be. And I can't remember the guy's name, but if you want to lay one, there's a plus 16 bet on there where if you bet five dollars you will end up getting 82 dollars back and if you join today and use our promo code braves 25 not only will they match your first deposit up to a thousand dollars just for using our promo code braves 25 they will also give you an extra 25 dollars that is a heck of a deal folks that gives you plenty of money to play with where you might not have to lose any of your own. You are playing with house money. When you do that, you only go up. You've got some great events coming up as far as Braves and and Dodgers coming on right now. You've got college football in full swing. If you want to bet the Conor McGregor and Khabib Nurmagomedov fight, that is on there as well. Make sure you're going to mybookie.ag, use our promo code BRAVES25, and let them know that you heard it here first. Now, Doc. Everybody's super stoked about the Braves and their playoff berth, and we are going to talk about them ad nauseum today. But before we do that, there's a couple things going on right now in this playoff push that I want to talk about a little bit. So last night, and for those of you listening on Friday, we're recording this on Thursday, so the game has not started yet. But uh, last night, 
We got to see the upstart Oakland A's, and you got to see the home run powerhouse New York Yankees. Uh, one of the, I don't know if I should call it a David and Goliath matchup. When you look at the history of the two teams, it's pretty much a David and Goliath matchup. Uh, you have the Oakland A's, who are the upstart, kind of the poster children for analytics movements with Billy Bean, and and they borrowed a lot from the Tampa Bay Rays as far as their their team structure, and they did something that up to this point nobody has done, and that is they started off with an opener. Liam Hendricks started the game last night uh, facing Luis Severino and the Yankees, and there's been a good bit of talk about that. You and I are, are pretty even-keeled, I would like to say. We're very analytics-minded, but we're not you know, robots as well. So I don't know what your take on this is going to be, but how did you feel about them starting uh, Hendricks out of the gate? I think that you need to have a lot of assurance in in your team that you're not gonna gonna need that impact bullpen arm later on in the game. You know what I mean? So you're already working with I, I, I was gonna say you're working with a truncated roster, but it's only uh, shortened when you start looking at it from the perspective of you've been playing with forty for the last couple of weeks. But you know Hendricks is Hendricks is a good pitcher, and he's he's obviously a good choice to to face the Yankees, but do you want to burn him in the first inning? Because you saw what happened. Uh, He wound up pitching pretty well outside of the fact that judge just mashed that home run to left field. So, and then he was gone after one inning. So ideally out of an opener, you're you're not just going to get those three outs. You can hopefully get a little bit more than that, but uh, it's interesting. I think that it's, it's kind of, this is a conversation that you never could have had in prior, prior postseasons, Although, the way the bullpens are being managed in postseason has been shifting pretty radically over the past couple of years. I don't hate it, but it's hard to kind of argue for it when you see what happens. you got to make sure it is the exact right matchup against the exact right team. As you saw last night, that may not have been the team to do it against. What do you think? I like the idea of the opener, especially for Oakland, because I've mentioned this before about how I believe that Bob Melvin is it should be pretty easily be the manager of the year. When you look at that roster up and down, there's really only three players that you see on that Oakland roster that you would conceivably start just about on any team this year. And that, of course, would be Matt Chapman, the superstar third baseman in his second year who just took the league by storm. I believe he posted like a seven war this year, which is insane. Yeah. Uh, One of also odd fun fact that is totally off script but that I didn't realize at all from the same school as Nolan Arenado and actually was his backup two years apart from Nolan Arenado he was Arenado's backup shortstop at El Toro High School which also produced Austin Hedges or or Austin Romine so fun factoid there Uh, I just think it's always kind of cool when you have two guys who are high school teammates and they are the poster children as far as third base defense goes in the leagues their respective leagues um as far as the opener goes, I don't think that Oakland has any starting pitcher, especially without Sean Manaya, that I would have thought would be a better option to pitch than Hendricks. Hendricks is an interesting case, though. Hendricks is a guy that started out this year really, really bad. He actually got cut uh, when they were using him in long relief, and then they brought him back once, uh, once, once it kind of became apparent that, hey, we might actually be contenders here. They brought Hendricks back in, and they started using him in the, uh, what is it, the the Yanni Chirinos role or the Ryan Stanek role, whereas he was the opener. And as an opener, he was outstanding for them. And he actually pitched decently outside of the the mistake pitch to Judge, which if you make a mistake to Aaron Judge, it's, it's gone. It's just going to happen, especially when you play in a Little League ballpark. Um, right. 
it's it's just a foregone conclusion. Lou Trevino was just as impressive, in my view, as Luis Severino. Trevino came in and was really bad to start, came in and gave three lockdown innings out of the bullpen. They got it up to where they wanted it. They were within two runs going up against when Fernando Rodney came in, and then Fernando Rodney, for as good a year as he had a year ago, he is, like we've mentioned with A.J. Minter, he's a guy that is always going to put himself into trouble. So I agree. It, I don't think that it was the wrong choice of guys to use. I think it just lets you know the margin of error with a team that hits home runs like the Yankees, which, by the way, I'm pretty sure this Bronx Bombers just hit the most home runs ever in Yankees history, which is saying a lot. Um, they led the league in homers and, and stats like that. Um you just can't make a mistake to these guys when they have guys one through eight that are all 20 home run type of guys. No, that's that's no doubt. And ideally, like I was saying, you're going to wind up getting somebody who can give you multiple innings. And it's not just based on the scope of one game to the next. You look at the scope of the entire season to where you if you're going to try and piggyback guys, you have to you have to have the faith. You have to have the confidence in them. So. If Hendricks is only going to give you one, and then Rodney's going to come out and he's not going to get anybody out, and Blake Trinan still gives you two innings, but he allows a couple of runs, if you run into any level of ineffectiveness, then the ripple on your bullpen doesn't just kill you for, say, for the wild card, but say if Oakland had won that game and they have to go face off against the Red Sox, well, then you got to be careful having too many guys that aren't going to go more than necessarily one inning because they've already been pitching for six months, seven months if you count spring training. So it's a dangerous thing to do. It really is a dangerous thing to do unless you're going to try and run out of playoff bullpen that's nothing but starters. And it, it's a, it's been a fun season. You can always tell when you look at the numbers here in Atlanta, the numbers for last night, for the game last night, were incredible. It, it's such an odd thing. I'm a big baseball guy, but I don't necessarily consider myself a big A's fan, and I hate the Yankees. So, And I was still tuned in. I was still – you know, I was still – suspense driven on just about every pitch I kept uh, kind of holding my breath a little bit hoping that the A's could come back and that's a good thing for baseball that's what baseball's been missing the last few years and that's what everybody has been so obsessed about with Rob Manfred bringing in stupid rules like the minor league rule where everybody starts on second base and the extra innings uh, or dumb dumb rules like trying to shorten a game for whatever weird reason but not wanting to split screen advertisements because no we can't do that uh, this type of season just goes to show you that it's not it's not the quote-unquote newfangled style of baseball where it's the three true outcomes. You give people a good close season and good matchups, and people are going to tune in. It's not like people don't want what happens in basketball where you have two teams that you know are better than everybody else, and it's a foregone conclusion. People like Mystique. Well, and it says a lot for the parody of the league, too, where it's not you don't just have a team like – like Golden State that is just packed to the gills and they're just going to beat you into submission. Or you have a situation like LeBron James who's made it to the, the finals uh, for eight consecutive years. You know, there hasn't been a repeat champion since the, the 2000 Yankees. So that that says a lot. I think, I think that's really cool, actually. And I think it, it, it's good news for us Braves fans, but when you look at that AL, that AL uh, postseason, that postseason slate, it kind of it leans me towards two thoughts, and I don't know which one you fall on more. On the one hand, it's insane that essentially every team in the AL side of things was a 100-game winner. Uh, that is 
crazy to think about that the A's won 90. The fact that the A's won 97 games is insane on its own. Uh, but really? the fact that there were not only were every team in the playoffs essentially a 100-win team, there was essentially a 100-win team that did not get to go to the playoffs because they happened to be in the same division as the Yankees and the Red Sox. That, to me, is, is so insane. I don't know if it says more about the lack of the the lack of depth in the AL or if it speaks more to just the overwhelming talent that those teams possess. It doesn't hurt that you've got the Yankees, Red Sox, and the Rays beating up on the Orioles who were God, they were flirting with legendary futility this year. Sixty one games back of the division. It's it's amazing how bad Baltimore. Like Baltimore was bad when they had Machado and Gossman and Brock, and they got rid of all of those guys. But uh, you also have the Royals, who were just really sucking it up for a lot of the year. The Rangers are really bad, so every division had one. So once you start getting into some of the super teams, I was just talking about the parody a second ago, but the examples I'm giving right now are completely counter to all of that. So. You know, you're always going to have some bottom feeders and you're always going to have some killer teams. But this year, it really did seem like it was pretty extreme on, on those fronts. I mean, Boston is a juggernaut and, and having a third place team with 90 wins in Tampa Bay. I mean, that's it's unheard of, that, especially for a team that don't forget Tampa Bay started out looking like they were going to be fighting with the Orioles for last place in the division. The Rays yeah. didn't really turn it on until about end of May, beginning of June, when all of a sudden Kevin Cash kicked it into a second gear, which is another reason why he's going to garner a lot of uh, AL Manager of the Year votes as well and deserves them. The other, the the good point, I guess I could say, is while those teams all look like juggernauts on the AL side of things, so you'd naturally think, all right, they're your World Series favorite, they also have to go through each other. And yeah. that is a, a big-time thing. It's almost... It almost does mirror the NBA a little bit, where the West is typically much better than the East. So you've got the AL. All those teams are having to beat up on each other to make it to the World Series. And in the National League, if you get – we've said this before, and we said it with Eno. The Dodgers are probably the team to beat, unfortunately, for Atlanta, and we'll dig into that a little bit. But if you get by that team, there's not another team out there that's really head and shoulders above everybody else. So it's, it's not the same caliber of player that you're having to go against day in and day out. Yeah, Braves are, are definitely if they have a, a deep run in them, they uh, you know it doesn't matter that they necessarily would have a, a quote unquote easier path to the World Series than say the Red Sox or the Yankees or anybody might. Um, it's just kind of that's one of the advantages of not playing in the league where where all of those teams are. Now, granted, there are some fantastic teams that are still left in the National League, and some that I'm just as scared of as uh, as the Red Sox and the Yankees. But um, you know, you you only have to beat one. You know what I mean? Like you, you don't have to have to beat them all. You only have to beat one of them. Very true. And any team can beat any team in a given series. But it wasn't just the A's and the Yankees that had the wild card game. Were you shocked? And you probably were, since we put our brackets up there, and none of us picked the Colorado Rockies to beat the Chicago Cubs uh, in extra innings, no less. Uh, but Colorado gets it done. They go into Chicago in the one game wild card, and they go in and they pull it out in twelve innings, I believe. Uh, I believe it was 12. could be wrong there. But that was, to me, that, and I'll be completely honest, I didn't make it all the way to the end of that game. I had to get up at 345 the next day, so I tapped out right around the 10th inning. Uh, but it just goes to show you that was, that was a good Colorado team who turned it on late. And the end of the year for Colorado was one of the more impressive stretch runs of any team in the National League, along with the Atlanta Braves and along with the Milwaukee Brewers. 
Yeah, I thought uh, Colorado, you know, it's a shame that they didn't wind up winning the West, not just because it would have meant that the, the Braves don't have to play the Dodgers, but uh, also they, for as much as they were winning, you know, you, you started to see it. Um, you see these teams after the trade deadline where they really can turn it on. You saw it with Tampa this year. You saw it with Oakland. And you, you definitely saw it with Colorado. They won nine out of their last 11, something like that. I I was fully expecting the Cubs to go in and handle them. And it's not like they didn't have their opportunities, because if there's any recurring theme from that game... Replay it sucks. Is, it, well, it's just missed opportunities for Chicago. You know, like they... Kyle Freeland looked fantastic. And John Lester is lucky that he only gave up one. Because after, after that first inning, it looked like it was going to be a long night for him. But, uh, you know, I was the same. I made it made it through the 10th. If the Braves had been playing, I, I would have stayed up for the rest of it. Same but, here. Um, but it's it's classic classic playoffs where who comes through? You got a, a roster with Nolan Arenado and Trevor Story and all these guys. And it's, and it's Tony Walters. Who had, like, by Walter. the way, who had not had a hit since September 10th. So what does that tell you about Ryan Flaherty? That tells me that he's going to be the guy for the Braves that winds up coming in in the pinch. It's always it's it's never the guy that you think it's going to be. You know, uh, it's Francisco Cabrera who's coming in in with that big hit or something like that. So, yeah, I mean Colorado, you, you always want to bet on the teams that are hot going into the playoffs because like even even if the Brewers hadn't won ninety five this year. Um, you know, a team that's playing the way that they are now, who's kind of sliding into the playoffs the way that they are. I mean, you got to fear a team like that. In Colorado, I think, you know, that's going to be a great, great series between the Brewers and the Rockies. And that's a good point. Now, I want to talk about this from the Cubs' perspective because I feel like 90% of Cubs fans now are bandwagon. Uh, I know a few who are diehard Cubbies fans and have been since before the Cubs were good again, but I feel like everybody jumped on that bandwagon back in 2015. Uh, and I've heard some rumblings, and granted, these aren't the smartest blokes that are saying this, uh, but but there's some rumblings that Joe Madden is not on a 100% cold seat right now, which to me seems insane for everything that he's done for that franchise. But what does it tell you for, for Cubs? And if you're a Cubs fan, how are you feeling about going in and losing not just the division? You lost two – basically you lost two clinching games in a row. How are you feeling as a Cubs fan? I kind of wonder how the weight of all of it is for them. You know, because in 2015, like they emerged from their rebuild. It's a very similar place to, to where the Braves are right now. And you had all these young names. And you had your veteran – quote-unquote veteran first baseman type in Rizzo. But you got Bryant and Baez and Schwarber and all these young guys. They made it to the NLCS, I think, in 2015. And then they won the World Series. And then they've got these heightened expectations. It's not like they're not playing with house money. They got something really riding on it. And they're they're not – I was talking to uh, our dear friend Braves Options guy earlier today about – um, the fact that it just seemed like Chicago stopped paying attention to themselves. They turned their focus outward and trying to figure out like how far ahead are we in the division? You know, how, how far behind are the Brewers? How far behind are the Cardinals? And it really just kind of got into them. They weren't, they weren't taking care of their own business first. So the, with Joe Madden, he is really, he's like black licorice. You know what I mean? <laughs> he's like the, the people who like black licorice, really 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 like black licorice and the people that don't hate it and can find you 10 reasons that why it's bad like what we see with with snicker and sticking with somebody during the rough times and everything um 
even despite some tactical blunders or whatever. I mean, that's that's rare, what we're seeing with Snit. Like, guys have really short leashes, even guys that will win you your first World Series title in 108 years. And Madden got where he is by being kind of a free thinker, kind of uh, free spirit, if I can use the, the hippy-dippy term. But, uh, you know, somebody like Theo Epstein is kind of a, a real no-BS kind of guy. So he's not just going to sit back and and idly let something like that happen, use seven relievers over four and two-thirds innings or something without getting in there and saying, dude, you can't do that. So I don't know. It wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Madden go. I don't think that he necessarily deserves to get pushed out the door, but I don't think his job is as safe as a lot of people would have initially thought. I mean, but my would... question for, for you is, like, if they do get rid of Madden, who should come in to that team and start to lead them? Well, I think if you're the Cubs and you're pushing Madden out because he's too, quote unquote, hippy, dippy, or free thinking, <laughs> or too basically too innovative, I think the obvious choice would be Joe Girardi, uh, who's another very good. He's a very good tactical manager. He's just the exact opposite of Madden as far as personality goes. Uh, the problem with Joe Girardi is, as good a manager as he is. There were supposedly the reason why he did not come back in New York was because he clashed with a lot of the younger players. And I think you're going to see a real movement now in baseball where you're going to have a lot of younger managers who can relate to the younger guys because that is where the team's bread is buttered now. It's not the big high price free agents anymore. It's developing your own guys. It's making your own guys like your your team enough to do team-friendly type of deals so that you can add from outside rather than doing a classic Yankees before the rebuild with Cashman where they would just go out and buy whoever they wanted in the free agent market. Uh, you're, you're starting to see teams move away from that dichotomy because it does not work for 98% of baseball who can't afford that type of structure. Now, the Dodgers can still do that, and it remains to be seen what they'll do this year since they have the league's highest payroll. I would imagine they'll go into next season with the same the league's highest payroll. Uh, Boston is on that same train a little bit, but uh, Alex Cora is one of those younger guys. And Alex Cora was an exceptional manager his first year. The first-year managers this year were, for the most part, really strong. So... It would, while it would really, really shock me to see Joe Madden go, I just think that you don't push a guy out after three years, after he just won you your first World Series in, what, 115 years? I don't think you see him go. Uh, If so, I would think that Girardi would probably be Epstein's first choice. He's pretty familiar with him coming from, you know, Girardi being with Tampa and uh, and with New York. So Epstein's probably pretty familiar with him. Well, and you know, Girardi was a Cub for for a long time. I, I watched many games of uh, of Greg Maddox throwing to Joe Girardi at uh, at Wrigley Field growing up. So, um, you know, who knows? He, he that could be the guy. He's got the playoff experience, and even if he or by the way, I don't want to. I don't want to name any names here, but I have heard that if Madden does get pushed out, that Mark DeRosa's name is being bandied about by some higher ups and by a lot of people. Uh, I'm not going to name names of who told me that, but that is a little peek behind the curtain there for you. Another former Cub, former Brave as well, and uh, a guy who's well. on the list of a lot of a lot of guys as a potential manager candidate. A lot of people are on the Mark DeRosa train right now. But that's enough of every other team. You mentioned the Brewers, and I want to say this really quickly: the Brewers are also going with an opener tonight. They are not starting a starting pitcher. 
quote unquote, they are going to go with the bullpen to open up this game. I did not see who it was going to be. I'm going to imagine it'll be somebody like Corey Knable. Um, maybe even Josh Hader, which in that case, you technically still are using a starter because Hader was a starter until what halfway through last year. Yeah. They, they rode that out for as long as they could. It seems weird too. Cause I, I, everybody thought that Hader was going to be a top notch starting pitcher. Just did not, for whatever reason, could not quite get out of like third and fourth inning trouble and gets converted to the bullpen where he's been <laughs> one of the most dominant relievers in baseball, uh, despite what you think of him as a person, as far as him as the baseball player, has been untouchable for the vast portions of his entire career. Uh, that's an interesting approach as the Brewers, hopefully, what I'm hoping for in the Brewers and Rocky series, I'm hoping that it goes seven games, and I'm hoping that people just monster mash off each other all game long and the games end up being like 12 to 11 and go like five hours so that whoever it is once Atlanta gets by if they face Atlanta then Atlanta gets to face a little bit of a tired bullpen because Atlanta goes into tonight not facing not facing Clayton Kershaw like people would have expected uh the Dodgers to throw game one but you're facing Hinjin Ryu who you know you're gonna get that little that little side eye that little skeptical snake stare because it's not Clayton Kershaw, but Hinjin Ryu has actually been their best starter since he came off the DL about a month ago, and it, it, it makes a very, very important game one. To me, the thinking behind it is you have to win game one because you do not want to go down 0-2. Oh, absolutely, and I would so much rather have Fulty face off against Ryu I would than, agree. Ker- than Kershaw. I like this move for the Braves. I don't know why. There, there's some rumblings. You know, Kershaw hasn't been quite himself this year. Oh, no, he only had like a two seven eight ERA this year. He's slipping. What's going on with Kershaw? Uh, right. But, there, you know, his back has been hurt for a while. That caused, that caused him to miss a lot of time this year. Uh, he's had some injuries the last few years, and he hasn't quite been his best player in baseball or best pitcher in all of baseball self that he's been the last three years. So the Dodgers decide to roll with Ryu. And then there is the element of Kershaw has not been good in the postseason up to this point. Now, is that because Kershaw chokes in big games or is it because that when you play playoff teams, everybody who made it there is a top notch team? I don't know. You tell me, but if I'm the Braves, I'm really happy that my best pitcher is going against somebody not named Clayton Kershaw because I think that gives you a better chance, at least in my mind, it gives you a better chance of starting 0-1. So then even when you do face Clayton, if you do drop that game, it's not going to essentially seal the the fate of the series. But if you lose tonight, I will say that it pretty much seals the series. The Braves have this weird thing they've been doing all year with late inning comebacks, and I and I don't know whether or not it's limited to just the late innings or if this is something that is uh, anytime their back is against the wall. Um, I'm what I'm really hoping, you know, this Dodgers roster that they've got. I mean, that's so stacked. It's so stacked from from top to bottom. The the starters, the bullpen, the bench, the everything. But. If there is a weakness on this Dodgers team, it probably is going to be their bullpen. And the Braves hitters, like I was just saying, they they have all year, they have been coming through in the clutch. So a team that doesn't know it's supposed to just roll over and take its lumps when they're already down 6-2 and facing a bullpen that may or may not have some kind of holes in it. If that's like the one weakness, then you just punch that one spot over and over again until they fall down. So I, I don't know. I'm, 
I still think that uh, the Braves have a very good chance in this series. I did not want to face L.A. I much, much rather would have faced Colorado. But things being what they are, um, this isn't quite as much of a David and Goliath map, matchup. And, when, and earlier today, I uh, had an article come out, the preview for um, over on Talking Chop. And I said, you know, Braves trying to play spoiler. And there were people in the comments that were mad at me for referring to the Braves as, as being like a, a spoiler type, as if they just kind of like backed into the playoffs or something. So, um, Well, those people need to put their money where their mouth is, don't they? Go on to mybookie.ag, lay down the bet. The Braves are plus 100 underdogs. That's They're they're not getting disrespected. They're seen as a very good team. The problem is they drew what everybody thinks is the best team in the National League, in the Dodgers. And you talked about it with that lineup. Just to dig into that a little bit with how insane that is, the worst starter – Think about this. The worst starter for the Dodgers is Brian Dozier. He's a 42 home run hitting second baseman. I mean, this is this is depth. You know, when you look at their bench versus our bench. Um. They can bring Max <laughs> Muncie. They can bring Brian Dozier. They can bring Jock Peterson. They can bring Yasiel Puig. Whoever they really want to bring off the bench, they've just got power for days. And that is, that is the story. And that's why... And we'll talk about this when we reveal our brackets, but it's why I'm not feeling particularly great overall about this particular matchup for the Braves. Because when I dug into the numbers, the Dodgers are essentially at about at the top of baseball in just about everything. Their bullpen is right in the middle. The problem for Atlanta is our starters and our bullpen are the worst in the National League as far as walks go. And you cannot walk this Dodgers team. Now, normally, don't get me wrong, I actually kind of think that the walk stat is overblown a little bit when people think, oh, walks are the worst things you can do. I actually don't think that there's much difference between a walk and a hit. Uh, you asked Tom Glavin if he would rather walk a runner in from walk a bases or have a bases loaded walk or give up a grand slam, guess what he's going to tell you? He'd rather walk the run in. Than, but, but that said, you can't do that against this Dodgers team because there is such power throughout this lineup that if you walk people and then you make a mistake pitch, and it doesn't even have to be a mistake pitch, these guys are so talented at hitting the ball over the fence that you can make a good pitch and they're still going to hit it over the wall anyway. You cannot give these guys free runners. You can give up a solo shot because you're going to give up solo shots. You just need to mitigate that and make it as as least damaging as possible. Well, and some of the, the weaker links have been shed from, from the roster. Like, as I alluded to earlier, been playing with, uh, with 40 guys in uh in september so some of the the guys that were getting innings you know there, there's no luke jackson there's no shane carl there's no dan winkler there's no jesse biddle there's no sam freeman which is uh i know that that, is, that makes out makes a lot of people happy you know they're still able to carry a couple of lefties in the pen you got freed you got venters um and, and obviously you've got you've got Minter and and Newcomb too. Depending on depending on what capacity he winds up getting used in, but uh, but for you know this is almost like the best possible scenario with a bullpen. You know what I mean? Like we've seen these guys, and nobody hates it more than Jesse Biddle. That Jesse Biddle hit the wall. Nobody hates it more than Dan Winkler. That Dan Winkler can't throw strikes, or that his his whip is like two and three quarters in September or, or whatever it is. So. Um, there is still the the possibility that the Braves wind up getting absolutely served by L.A. in, in every single category. But uh, being able to trim some of that fat, I think, is a good thing. 
I think the Braves could most certainly win the series because, as I mentioned before, I don't think any of the NL teams are head and shoulders above everybody else. And you touched on it with their bullpen. Their bullpen has been very shaky at times. Their bullpen has been prone to missing the strike zone a lot. And the Braves have the type of hitters that once momentum gets on the Braves' side, that the Braves can put up eight on you in a hurry. And the Braves are a very momentum-driven team. Uh, if they're, I, That's kind of the way I feel like it. You're not ever out of a game, really, if you're the Braves. But the Braves, the, the kind of feeling around the team – it kind of takes on a different air when when things start rolling in their direction, particularly if Ronald Acuna start, does something. Uh, momentum seems to shift, and the Braves are, are great at stepping on the throat once that gets going. The problem lies in, and I don't, you know, I think LA has some good starters. Um, I actually, I don't think that they're overpowering. And Kershaw can be, uh, as we all know, Kershaw is, at his healthiest is is one of the best pitchers that baseball has ever seen, uh, but. There's no saying that he's going to be that Clayton Kershaw. Uh, and even if he is, that's the only one pitcher they have that I really think definitively is better than who you've got on the opposing side. Walker Bueller is immensely talented. Walker Bueller is is not better than Mike fulton right now. Injin Ryu is not better than Mike fulton The interesting thing for me, and I don't think the Braves have announced this yet, but I would like to see them go Fulte, Sanchez, Gosman, and then... I'd like it to be a lefty coming up fourth. I would prefer Max Freed, but for whatever reason, the Braves have said that they're not going to start Max Freed. So I guess I'd prefer it to be Newcomb. And if he struggles out of the gate, go with Max and then piggyback Max and Tukey. But that's a different conversation. Um, more importantly, I like the idea of Sanchez being the two guy sandwich between Fulte and Gosman because I think Gosman is your second best pitcher. So if you if you sandwich them, it gives you a great opportunity to win. Game one with Fulte. If Sanchez sneaks out a game two against Kershaw, you're in the driver's seat, and then you get to go to Gosman to clinch it. If Anibal drops the game, then you've got Gauz behind him as a guy who can clean it up and get you back so you don't go into a prolonged losing streak and have to come back uh, with, with a game four being the most important game of the series there. I think that that is going to be a tremendous part of this. And Gosman, I think is probably your key factor as a starter. He's the guy that's best served to go against this Dodgers lineup because he is the best at getting balls on the ground. Yeah, and not having Dansby to to back up with the defense is definitely going to hurt there, but but Charlie is um he's good enough. You know, he's he's not uh it's not like Machado playing short over there or anything like that. So I I think that having somebody that can get the ball on the ground cuz God knows these guys can hit home runs. The, you know, if you can get somebody who can take away the that biggest asset that they've got, then that's going to be huge. I, I still, I, I, I don't, I just, I don't know. Like most, most series, most people are probably looking at the series going, oh yeah, Dodgers going to take that. Not, you know, without, without fail. But I also have to wonder how many of those national pundits that are saying that have sat and watched an entire Brave series, watch some of the magic that we've, we've watched. And maybe maybe we just because we have this myopic view of our team, we we have this abnormal inflation of like what they really are. But I don't I don't know if that matters. I mean, the hope hasn't been this high. I mean, how many times has this team been compared to 1991? You know, worst the first, and you know, coming out of nowhere and doing things, and destiny and fate. All of these things are are working for us, and that's stronger than in, than a really good curveball. 
not only that, we do have one of the best players in all of baseball in Ronald Acuna Jr., who at any point can show the world why he is such an absolute stud and put the team on his back. Freddie Freeman, of course, can be Freddie. The good point of this is if you beat the Dodgers, that's going to give you the momentum to go all the way through the World Series. And I firmly believe if you beat the Dodgers, you are going to the World Series. You're worried about the Brewers more than the Dodgers. I totally understand that with you know a lineup that features Christian Yelich, uh, Travis Shaw, Mike Moustakis, Lorenzo Cain, and you know whoever else they feel like throwing out there at you. Uh, Ryan Braun, I guess, is still kind of a good player. Um, the fact, how weird is that? By the way, that you look at that Brewers lineup and Ryan Braun might be their fifth or sixth best player. Um, very, very odd, not not what I'm used to seeing. But I feel that the Braves beat the Brewers over a core, over a over a seven game stretch because our pitching, our starters are much better. They don't have a single guy that I would that I would throw in even as a number three on our staff all their guys are, are pretty average at best as far as starters go uh but the dodger series this is it and you know if you're a Braves fan it might suck if you have to pay, face the toughest team round one it's also good you get to see exactly where your club's at and if you win this you feel great about your chances going into a potential world series showdown with whoever comes out of the al now the rosters got released earlier today so Looking at that roster, was there anybody that you were shocked that got left off or a guy that you're shocked was put on the roster? Uh, not really. I think that the inclusion of Rene Rivera, I mean, it's a direct result of the, the Dansby injury, just kind of those, those dominoes falling in that certain way. But having having Lucas Duda and, and having either Suzuki or Flowers be the first guys off your bench, I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I think that it's good you've got Lane Adams who – He's our Terrence Gore. I was just going to say that. That guy is so fast, you know, and he's, uh, you know, he can, he can play some outfield and he, he's, you know, he's hit a couple of home runs this year. And and granted, one of them was off of Pedro Florimon, (laughs) but, uh, you know, he's got some power in there. He's got the speed as a game changer in the playoffs. So I like that. I'm, and we, we had talked about, um, I mean, this is a, this is a good bullpen, you know, like if, if I have to choose between, Max Freed and Sam Freeman. I mean, is that even really a choice? I've been I've been stumping for Max Freed for a long time, so I'm glad he made it. I'm really glad Tukey made it. Uh, we kind of figured Sabatka would be there. I'm happy about that. I mean, this this is probably given the current circumstances, this is probably about as good of a roster as you're going to find. I think it, it's one of the best rosters the Braves could put together. But I like yeah. like you, I'm not real big on Rene Rivera and Ryan Flaherty being on the same roster. I think it's my I could deal with one or the other. Uh, I get why Rivera's on there because you're afraid to put in your backup catcher in case the other catcher gets hurt. I, I get that. Um, I don't like it particularly, um, but I understand it. I would have. I'm a little shocked that a guy like Phil Gosselin or Danny Santana wasn't brought up instead of Rene Rivera because they both. Gosselin's a guy that can fill in everywhere, and he's at some points in the major leagues he's had some sort of mild success. But Danny Santana's a guy that's been good for you in the majors before. Um, I think we can both agree if, if either of those guys are getting used, it's a situation that we are not happy about. Either it's in like a 14 inning game, or we're down like 25 to two. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that. I mean, Flaherty's been the been the twenty fifth man on this roster for all he's, year. He I mean, is literally were, he's literally only there for Nick Marquez to feed off of his life energy. 
And you saw what happened after Flaherty got cut. Marquecas had a uh, WRC plus of like seven for the entire time that uh, that he was gone. Right. So, he comes back up and Marquecas starts hitting again because Marquecas is a life vampire. And maybe maybe it's just a coincidence, but I don't know, man. That was, that was like the timing was was really bizarre with that. So if Flaherty has to occupy a roster spot to where Marquecas can can hit doubles or whatever, you know, I'm I'm fine with that. It's like that's his handler. So, um, yeah, ideally, if the if the Braves can break through in this series and, and take it from L.A., hopefully the extra rest will be good for Dansby and uh, this roster will look a little bit different moving forward. I don't know if they would wind up, unless the bullpen just gets absolutely slammed during the series, I don't know how many major upgrades or, or changes they would necessarily make to it. I mean, I think this is probably the roster that you're looking at for the rest of uh, rest of the playoffs. I could see that happening. The other story of this, as far as the bullpen goes, is the pitching rotation is filled with starters, where, of course, you've got Fulte, Gosman, Anibal. Uh, then you've also got Newcomb, Freed, Tukey, and Julio also in there. So you've got basically eight starters in the bullpen. Uh, and then you've got Sabaka, which I'm so happy. I hope they actually use him in some high-leverage situations. And I hope he's Me not too. relegated to mop-up guy. Uh, but you got him. you got Minter. Arotis has looked great since coming back he's looked fresh um venters i hope he's used correctly because i want johnny to succeed more than maybe any other player in in this entire braves roster uh i don't want him to be put into a situation where he's facing manny machado with the game on the line uh right but but i I feel great about johnny especially if you're only using him as a loogie which should happen in the playoffs he should be used a little bit more correctly i am very happy that sam freeman did not is not on this iteration of the roster and i get sam freeman hasn't allowed a run since he's come off the dl i get it um but he also allows inherited runners to score because that's what sam freeman does um his his earned runs aren't his when he's healthy it's whoever else is on base when he comes in um Minter's another guy. I've talked about Minter. Minter, at his best, is one of the most talented relievers in baseball. Uh, Minter is also a guy that will put himself into trouble no matter what spot he pitches in. So I think you have to be very careful with what you do with Minter because at any point, Minter could wipe out all three batters that he faces or he could put a runner on second, give up a two-run bomb, and then walk the third guy. So as it has been all year and as the theme has been with this Braves team, it's going to determine which which bullpen shows up for the Atlanta Braves. I agree with you. I think that this is the most talented bullpen that the Braves could put together. I don't really see any other options down in AAA or really anybody that left off. Maybe if, I I want Biddle on this roster so bad because of how talented Biddle is, but there's no denying that he has he has hit the fatigue hard. This is the most yeah. he's ever pitched. You know, he's coming off a long, lengthy injury history. He needs at least one series off. And I agree, if if the Braves win this series, I don't think they change a thing other than adding Dansby back, and you'll see Rene Rivera go. Uh, you'll see Rene Rivera left off, I would imagine. Um, but I, I think you're right. I think this is kind of dialed in. If you had to pick somebody that was the most important person on this roster to have a good series, who is the most important person for you? I'm going to say Johan Camargo. And I'm not saying it because I think he's the best player or because I think he needs to do the best, but because I'm already expecting Ronald Acuna to do what he does, which is have huge hits, impact games, rec games. Freddie's going to do what Freddie does. Nick is going to do what Nick does. If Johan Camargo 
has a series that we're talking about, like, holy crap, look what Camargo did. The Braves are in a good spot. That means the Braves are going to win this series because Camargo is ideally, he's probably your number three or four hitter, really, as far as overall hitters on this team right now. Um, If we're talking about him having a huge series, then you're talking about an extra X factor that gives you, that should propel you over the top, in my opinion. No, I think I think you could absolutely make a case for that. See, for me, for me, it's Ozzy because very true. You know, every, well, other things being equal, you know, if Freddie, you know, hits like Freddie hits, and and Camargo hits the way that we know that we're capable of, the range of outcomes for Ozzy is so wide. You know, like most guys have their lane that they stay in and, you know, aside from the occasional hot streak or whatever, but like ah, he's just such wild swings and what he can do. But if L.A.'s putting Ryu out there and they're putting Kershaw out there, I mean, Ozzy mashes lefties. So but he kind of sucks against righties. So if he can just if he can have a good series, because we talked so much in the early part of the season about what a spark plug he is. For this team, I think that that's huge. If he can do anything above his season numbers, you know, if he hits 300 in this series or he can uh, maybe hit a home run or two, I mean, that's that's huge. They've got that short little little porch in, uh, in left field, the Dodger Stadium, so hopefully he can just drop a couple dinky little hits right over right over the fence there. So that's who it is for me. And, and also, I mean, Anibal going up against Kershaw, you know, we need – we need good Anibal on uh, <laughs> yeah. Till, yeah. tomorrow night. We we don't need that clock striking midnight yet. Let let this Cinderella story go a little bit longer for Anibal Sanchez. Um, yeah, it, I I'm going to make a prediction. If if Camargo ends up going and hitting about 375 or 400 for the series, if you hear if you hear national guys talking about Johan Camargo more than one after more than one recap in a good light, the Braves are going to win this series. Because that tends to be the way that this team goes. Acuna is is the game breaker for the Braves. He is the game wrecker. When you're facing a team as talented as LA, it's the complementary pieces that have to step up. And you talked about Ozzy, and that is that is most definitely in the same era here because it has been a struggle for Ozzy in the second half of the year. He has been he's been figured out by pitchers. He has not quite adjusted yet. If he's able to turn it on in postseason play, that is going to be huge. But Camargo has this knack for coming through in situations that aren't technically considered clutch. Like he'll he'll drive in a run in the fifth inning or the sixth inning. And that run so many times plays such a huge factor, uh, whether the Braves win or lose, where he'll play with that that little area right to the right to the right of the second baseman, right towards the bag at second base, where he hits that place pretty much constantly. And he turns on fastball so quick. If he's able to do that, I think the Braves have a great chance of winning. Uh, Ozzy being able to hit from the right side for two games, at least two games, is going to be huge. I think Ender is another guy that we got to take a hard look at too because second half of the year, Ender's been outstanding. There's no other way around it. He's been a superb player. Once it came out that he might lose some playing time to uh, Adam Duvall, who was left off the roster, Ender turned it on, and he was that player that we saw for almost all of last season. Particularly now he's hitting lefties really well, and I think that's going to be another untold story is how do the Braves' lefties fare against the Dodgers' lefties? And if I'm looking at the Dodgers' bullpen, I don't know. I don't think they really have a dominant lefty reliever, do they? Uh, not that I can 
Not that I can think of off the top of my head, which in that case generally means that they're probably not a dominant one. Uh, most of their dominant guys in that pen are righties, and Kenley Jansen is a righty, so I'm not as worried there. In that instance, though, if we're talking about these complementary pieces and we're talking about them as look what they've done this series, then the Braves win. Can we agree on that? I think so, yeah. And then bullpen, just really for the bullpen, I'm not asking them to be outstanding. I'm not asking them to be amazing. Just don't be horrible. I think that that's really all it comes down to is do your job if you're the bullpen. Get it to the next guy. Don't don't have one of these innings like you saw the A's have last night where a reliever gives up three runs in an inning because if you do that, you're going to get buried. As long as we just got to avoid that implosion inning. There, it seems like it's not every. It, it seems like every game, but I mean, there's there's that occasional. Um, even if nothing bad comes out of it, just those, those high stress innings where somebody would come in and walk to, and they, they'd wind up getting out of it, but everybody's blood pressure spikes, and everybody's you know just wanting to throw a bunch of shit at their TV. Um, as long as they can avoid stuff like that, because that's the stuff, type of stuff that'll frazzle your nerves. Not just in that game, but the next time you go out, you oh, man, I can't. Not to say that anybody will go in with a specific I can't do this mentality, but that type of stuff adds up after a little while. And the Dodgers are not a team that you can take chances with. If you want to play a game as against the Pirates, load the bases with nobody out or the Reds or something, then the odds are in your favor to come out of it. But the Dodgers in the playoffs, man, you got to be on your best behavior. Your pitches got to be on their best behavior. I 100% agree. This is not a team that you can really play around with. You've got to be you've got to be dialed in from the get-go, and you have to be dialed in for all nine. Now, we put up a couple days ago, or uh, on Tuesday, I believe, on Twitter, we put up our brackets for the, for the postseason, and we got our wives involved this time. So we are going to do a quick rundown here, and uh, that way we can see who among us is the best, whether it is me, my wife Sarah, Doc, or his lovely wife Valerie, who – is the brains behind the platinum sombrero. So starting off, none of us got Colorado over Chicago. We all picked the Cubs. Um, but starting off, Sarah's is the one that everybody's going to like because it was it was Chicago. She had, she had Chicago going all the way to the NLCS, so she's already busted for a little bit. But she had Chicago beating Colorado. She had Chicago beating Milwaukee. Then she had the Braves beating the Dodgers. And then she had the Braves beating the Cubs. And then on the other side of it, she had New York beating Oakland. She had uh, Houston beating Cleveland. She had Boston beating Oakland, Boston beating Houston. And then the Braves beating Boston in seven games with Freddie Freeman as your MVP. So if that happens, I think we can say that she deserves a spot in the parade. I actually think I like her bracket more than I like my own. Anything where the where the Braves come out as victorious, then that's a it's a good bracket. Now mine is going to go in the complete opposite way, and I'm willing to bear this burden. Um, I had also I had Chicago beating Colorado. I had Milwaukee topping Chicago and going to the NLCS. I have this is the part I don't like to say. I had I have LA beating the Braves. Um, I'm sorry to say Boo! I don't. I don't, I don't want it to happen, but that's what I've got down. I have to be a little bit impartial here. Uh, then I have L.A. beating the Brewers, so at least we can say we lost to the eventual World Series, guys. Uh, on the other side of it, I had Oakland beating New York, which did not happen. Uh, I had Boston beating Oakland. I have Cleveland beating Houston 
because I think Cleveland's starting pitching rotation is the X factor in that series. And then I had Boston beating Cleveland, and then I have L.A. beating Boston. Dodgers are your World Series champion. They are my World Series champion. You know, I've got this long-standing thing that. By the uh, way, whoever, by the way, L.A. in six, Manny Machado is the World Series MVP. If you care, I could. I mean, I could see a world where that happens. Uh, you know, anytime that an Atlanta team loses um, in the playoffs, I will always try and pull for the team that beat them to say, if we had to lose, we had to uh, right, lose we lost against to the best. best. Well, except for uh, last year when the Falcons lost to the Eagles, uh, I would rather get stabbed uh, in both of my eyes with very sharp forks than ever pulled for uh, Philadelphia Eagles for any reason. Right. But, uh, okay, so like you said, every every single one of us, we all bricked on the Colorado versus, uh, versus Chicago. Um, I had the Cubs going uh, up against the Brewers, the Brewers beating them. I actually have the Braves beating the Dodgers. Um, I can't tell whether that's just this weird inherent optimism or if I actually think it's possible. The more I think about it, I've, I keep – I don't have a ton of reasons why it's going to just be uh, the Braves getting getting the floor mopped uh, by the Dodgers. So, uh, But I do have the Brewers beating the Braves. Uh, do you want to boo me on that one? I can't really boo you. I didn't even have the Braves getting to that round. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I did have the Yankees uh, beating the A's. I have the Red Sox beating the Yankees. I actually have uh, – Houston over Cleveland because you're right about Cleveland's rotation being insane, but Houston, um, Houston's offense paired with Houston's pitching, which is which is pretty damn good on its own, uh, I think uh, will propel the Astros to the ALCS. I have the Red Sox beating the Astros, and then in the World Series, I have the Red Sox beating the Brewers. Boo! Yeah, I mean. We saw Boston, man. And, I mean, Mookie Betts and J.D. Martinez. Man. And Andrew Benintendi. And, yeah. And Xander a, Bogarts. They're stacked, dude. They're, like, everywhere you look, you know, with the exception of Sandy Leone, then that Boston <laughs> yeah, team. Right. Except for catcher. Crazy. Except for they catcher. Crazy. Well, you know, they, they can – I, I said that they're like the Titanic. They're too big to sink. And then as soon as the, it came out of my mouth, I'm like, that's not true. That's not true. <laughs> they're amazing. You know what I mean? Right. And, no, they're just that good. I, I mean, and having having Chris Sale, like even even ineffective Chris Sale, is better than better than most pitchers. So, um, yeah. And Valerie, actually, the the lovely lady Doc had uh, had the same uh, same bracket as me, except for uh, she had the Indians beating beating the Astros and going to the ALCS, but she had. Uh, Red Sox over Brewers in the uh, in the World Series. Otherwise, everything was the same. She obviously is an avid listener of the Platinum Sombrero podcast, or she would not have made such fantastic uh, choices in her brackets. So, right, like Cleveland over Houston, smart woman. Red Sox over Brewers is, is the one, man. That's I'm, the I'm one. just saying you're betting against Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez. It's not that I'm betting against them. I'm betting, but you are for Alex Bregman. And for George Springer and Carlos Correa and Justin Verlander and even Tony Kemp, you know what I mean? Just tiny four starting tiny, pitchers, tiny. four four starting pitchers with two hundred strikeouts. Did the Astros have that? No, they did not. No, but you know what the Astros had? One hundred and four wins. You know what Cleveland has? The MVP. Eighty nine wins. The MVP. By the way, by the way, I don't want to bury this. I actually want to get your thoughts on this because we haven't talked about this yet, and we're just kind of giving each other some back and forth here, but. 
it's been such a foregone conclusion that it's Mookie Betts or, or Mike Trout for people that want to see just how insane he's been after missing a month of the season and still putting up those numbers. I think my AL MVP might be Jose Ramirez. I I could make a case for Ramirez. I could make a case for JD Martinez. I could do that well. too. But Ramirez has like thirty stolen bases. Yeah, and he doesn't How? really appear to have the body type to where he can move like that. He's, How? You know, he's, he's closer to Williams Astadio than he is Ronald right. Acuna. How did that happen? I, I I can't recall him ever stealing a base. Yeah, I mean that's that's a that's a really good base running coach, and that's somebody that knows his reads really well. But by the way, I, sure. I have my, my whole thought process behind Cleveland over Houston, it is about the starters. I also think that that Cleveland bullpen, Andrew Miller is just too good to be this bad for an entire season. And he's been really bad in the regular season, especially for him. He's been injured. But when you mainly when you pair him and Brad Hand and Cody Allen up, that's that is a very potent. And then you could talk about they could put Danny Salazar in the bullpen too. And that that's or or Mike Clevenger, whichever one of the two they feel like putting in there. That's a very potent bullpen. Sure, and, and with they just they didn't play that great against teams above five hundred. They were the only team uh, above five hundred in that division. You know, if yeah. you if you spend, really bad division, which is also why I think that they do something good because everybody's looking at them as the weakest of the AL teams because they beat up on nobodies. Yeah, I mean the the Royals. You know, we were talking about how bad the Orioles were uh, earlier. The uh, the Royals weren't weren't good at all. The White Sox weren't good at all. The Tigers weren't good at all. I mean, if, when the Twins were the second best team in your division, like, not just the Twins, but these Twins? Ugh. You, I mean, there were there should have been four teams in the American League that won 100. The Cleveland should have, but it doesn't matter. They they won their division. They're in. And, and as, we, as we know, anything can happen. So out of everybody who was left... In the National League, the Braves had the, the least wins out of all of those teams, and we're still expecting big things out of them. So you just take- getting to October, that's the important part. And once you get there, just about anything can happen. All these teams got here for a reason. Do you want to take a stab at who your World Series MVP is? I think I'm going to guess Mookie Betts, but is that is that who you're going to go with? Uh, probably so. But then again, maybe maybe somebody like Bogarts. Somebody, somebody that isn't quite as um, – who's heralded, but he's not like the superstar level. Um, and maybe it's just because of like star fatigue. Like everybody's been watching what Betts does all year, and and he's. I mean, the dude hit three sixty eight. Now you want to talk about <laughs> how you can't use batting average to evaluate a player? You can when he hits three sixty eight. Didn't he have an OBP you know? over four hundred too? Yeah, I mean, and his OPS was like it was high. I, don't, I think it was like eleven hundred. He had lot, he know? had as good a year as Mike Trout, and then it's for two totally opposite reasons too. When you look at the two of them. Uh, Mike Trout takes a ton of pitches. Mookie Betts does not. Right. It's very, very, very different approaches, both of whom are, are the best at their particular approach in all of baseball. It's uh, it's great that there's so many so many of these big stars. And, and that, that statement seems like such low-hanging fruit. But, I mean, think about it, man. Like, there, there's – every team has at least one guy where it's like – not just fun to watch, but just good for the sport in general. You Certainly know, guys like Mookie, way. guys like Trout, these guys are. And Alex Bregman. Special. Bregman is certainly in that category himself now. It's been Jose Altuve show and Carlos Correa and George Springer. I think Bregman is is the guy on that team now. I think so. I mean, and it's been it's been kind of a down year for both uh, Correa and Springer. I know Tell Correa me about was it. Dealing with, I, I with had some them, injury stuff. I had them both on my fantasy team. 
See, you you know better than me then. I pushed him. That was my fault. I'm, I jinxed him. But seeing guys like Bregman and seeing guys like Trevor Story is another one where just – Helium. Just, yeah, yeah. Seeing these guys kind of not necessarily come out of nowhere but just go from being, being a maybe somebody to – Growing into it and being consistent with that, not just having a hot month like a like a Rugnado door or somebody. Um, it's great. It's it's great to see it. I love it. And for for as many people, I got into a long conversation with my boss today about uh, about how the uh, NFL is eventually going to go the way of boxing, um, how it used to be a marquee sport and is just kind of fading into the background due due to a number of concerns. When that starts to happen, because it's it's not just the kneeling stuff, it's not just the flag stuff. I mean, that kind of is um, shrouding the fact that the NFL has been trotting out a, to me, at least a subpar product for years. But so as that starts to become less and less in the public eye, there's going to be a lot of youths to uh, capitalize on taking, you know, wanting to play sports and everything, and having guys like Bregman and Story and Mookie and all these guys that are figureheads. Uh, we. When we were growing up, you know, I'm 10 years older than you, so we had different guys to kind of attach our um, our youthful minds to. For me, it was like McGuire and Canseco and Bonds, and I, and I know that you wound up having uh, having some Bonds in there too. Chipper, but Chipper like, was my guy. What's that? Chipper was Chipper was my guy. Chipper, King Griffey Jr. I mean, and and that that speaks to the point. You know what I mean? Like, there's there's always these like figurehead types and and these you these young guys they, they want to attach themselves to to the idea of being the next griffey or bonds or chipper or whoever so i think there's a real opportunity for baseball to grow there's been a lot of talk about how the, the game is dying is it taking too long is it uh, to me that's just a bunch of crap because i think that baseball is, is beautiful but, I would agree, and I think baseball is about to enter another golden age here with the sheer amount of, of young superstar talent in the age at which these guys are ready to contribute heavily. used to be that you'd, play, you'd toil in the minors for five or six years. You'd make your big break at 25, 26. These guys are ready to come in and do damage at 20 and 21. We're about to get a, a whole new era of, of baseball where we talked about for, for a year or two it was starting to – you know, you're starting to wonder, hey, who's going to replace the old guard when Miguel Cabrera and Albert Pujols and Chipper Jones, they're all starting to fade away and Ken Griffey Jr. is retiring. Who's going to be the next man up? And then it looked like it was just Mike Trout and Harper. And now you've got a whole cacophony of people who are just ready to to explode and make this sport theirs. And this this particular postseason is a great example of that, where every team has not just a superstar player, but a young superstar player. No doubt. And I think that, that this whole advanced analytics movement over the, over the past couple of years, like it has been it sheds so much light on on player valuation and it's changed so much of it that it, it puts a lot of premium on on speed, which you're obviously going to get a lot more of from from your younger guys. So I, I'm curious to know that because it's only been five years or so. So I, I want to know. 10 years from now, what it's looking like, what player evaluation is going to wind up looking like for some of these younger guys, because it's not just that the, the game is like, you're getting some of these stars that are coming up younger and kind of dominating, but like back end of their career guys, it used to be 40 was the death sentence. Now it's like 33 and you're going to be not going to be able to find work. And not only that, you, you, we were talking about this before the show and we wanted to talk about this today. I don't want to bury it, but you were speaking of those advanced analytics what ESPN2 did for the wildcard games was awesome. 
fantastic for them to have a a stat cast viewed type of game where they're pulling out the stats so everybody who's watching those can start to get a little rundown of of the stats that the front offices are using and there of course there are those that hate the newfangled stats there are people that hate ops and obp and war and all of these numbers but if they were to if more games were done like stat cast like like they did for the wild card games I think it would be a whole new level because people would be able to understand it easier because these are the numbers that front offices are using. So these are what can allow players or can allow fans to get into the mind of front offices. Everybody likes to play Monday morning GM. Well, when you start to understand the numbers that these guys are using, you start to understand why teams are are doing a certain thing or why they're bringing in an opener uh, in a certain game or, or why they're batting this, why they're batting the best player second or first instead of third when that's always been the tradition. I thought it was phenomenal. I hope they keep doing it. I hope the Braves get a couple of those games. I hope so too. And and I think that part of the, the biggest thing, like you've got these, there's a lot of people that don't advance, that don't embrace advanced analytics. And, and I get it. It's, it's just kind of tradition and, knowing how to evaluate players based on on batting average and and home runs and stuff but if you you judge judge a uh, a fish by its ability to climb a tree then you're going to think that he's a moron so like just having broadcasts like that it kind of demystifies it a little bit and it's no longer just a bunch of bunch of guys with computers and their mom's basement right. crunching numbers you know, it becomes you start to see the application and you, you understand, like, why this is important. It's, it's showing the spray charts and it's showing the um, hard hit contact percentages and it's using war instead of batting average. Like the first time that I, I looked up and it's, it's, I'm like, well, there, there's his war and there's his OPP. How the hell am I supposed to know what type of hitter he is if he doesn't have his batting average up there? You know, so I'm I'm no stranger to it. I'm stuck in that same thing as well. But having the little just the little touches they had, like the the 3d strike zone and it would show like where the it almost kind of worked in 4d a little bit because you could kind of have that matrix camera angle where where it rotates out a little bit and see exactly where the pitch hit the zone how much and where and it was just really cool and and so stuff like this it takes years for for acceptance to to fully happen so you have a lot more steps to take but this is a really good one mike petriello is uh, who was on that broadcast and who was breaking down a lot of that stuff. He's really knowledgeable. He, he explained it in a non-pretentious way, which I think is important. Very and important. The fact that, I think that's a main key as to why people have been so against a lot of the advanced analytics movement is, quite frankly, a lot of the, the pro-analytics people can be very condescending and can descend into douchebaggery very quickly. Uh, I still long for a day where Waba replaces batting average total. Like, just let's just go ahead and phase that in and out and get rid of that. But I think the way that people explain it is much more important. And what you said about it being not just being computer geeks or mathematicians being the ones putting it out there, where it's actual guys being involved in the game. And I think that's the next step is to get guys, former players, the guys who have been dogging it. You know, the Joe Simpson. Oh, talk about oh, we'll shift that with Chip Carey. Have guys that that act like teach these guys why the front offices are using these numbers and what they're showing. Have those guys be the ones to relay it, and all of a sudden it will start to kick in, and you'll have a lot more of your fan base invested not just in a certain player on your team, but in the team as a whole, which I think creates longer lasting fandom. No, I think so, absolutely, and for for there's still a continuum of people too. Like I love baseball, but I sucked at it. 
I sucked at it so bad. So, and I think that might be part of why I love it so much is because even when I could have just said, Oh, I'm not good at this. I don't want to pay attention to it. I'm like, no, there's something deeper here. And so having different, you know, shifting views and, and evolving views about how the game works, because the game is always changing, you know, whether it's lowering the mound or uh, instituting replay, or there, there's always going to be some new way to look at it. It's always in, in flux. So having, different ways to look at it and for having guys that are the those kind of computer nerds and giving them something to attach to it when it's like you know some poindexter who wasn't athletic enough to play maybe pointing a finger at myself here then uh you know it just kind of gives them a vested interest in moving moving forward because they understand what more so what the metrics are and then they can kind of back their way into understanding a little bit more about the game that way. Well, I will tell you right now that the whole computer geek, computer nerd thing, that part will never go over well with, with the sporties of us uh, who want baseball to be viewed in the same light as football. A lot of us who played baseball at higher levels uh, don't take really kindly to when people say that baseball is an easy sport or uh, that it's not a physical sport. Not, not not real fond of that. So that part, you'll always get some pushback. By the way, before we wrap up, Christian Yelich hitting a two-run homer. Uh, he is your National League MVP, folks. Um, but one thing that will never change and will never be up for debate is how much fun doing this show is each and every week. Some Braves fans out there, get ready. Go crazy for game one. If Ronald Acuna hits, a, if Ronald Acuna hits a, 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 an opening home run, you will hear me from Canton, Georgia. Wherever you are, you will hear me screaming. From from wherever you at, it will not be over the mics. You will just hear this one random sound, and you'll be like, ah, "That's Dylan." Uh, let's <laughs> let's get after it. Let's prove me wrong, and let's beat LA. Let's stomp. Let's stomp them into the ground. Let's not just beat them. Let's sweep them. Let's go on and and let's let's keep living this this dream of a season and keep this going. And Doc, I can't wait to get back in touch with you next week. We'll be talking during the game, but I can't wait to do next week's show where hopefully the Braves are on the verge of moving on to the NLCS and we've got a whole new level of excitement coming through. For everybody out there, enjoy the game tonight. Make sure you're following us on SoundCloud. SoundCloud. Following us on iTunes. Following us on all the platforms, Podbean, TuneIn, whatever. Uh, Following us on armchairallamericans.com. Following us on Twitter at TBS underscore podcast. And make sure you are going to mybookie.ag. Thanks to Armchair All Americans again for being our host network. And thank you all so very much for listening. This has been the Platinum Sombrero. Thanks, bye.